0: hope you all are doing well today. I want to invite you to actually mark your calendars for two weeks from today, November 23rd and 24th. We are going to be having what we're calling Vision Weekend, where we're going to talk a little bit about what we're uh, just celebrating what God is doing in our church as well as talking a little bit about what we believe the next steps are and God calling us to continue to pursue this mission, his mission that he's called us to participate in. So that's going to happen November 23rd and 24th, all three services. So I hope you'll make it a priority to be here for that. Uh, That's also going to be an opportunity to affirm two new uh, prospective elders as well as the proposed budget for 2020. So if you want more information about the budget or elders, you can find that in the atrium um, right out in front here as well. Uh, Or you can look that up online as well. So I hope you guys will join us that week. I hope you'll lean in and just press in to see what role you might play and what God is calling us to as a church. Now, before we go any farther in service today, I do want to ask any of our veterans in the room today to please stand, uh, whether you're joining us here or at our West Campus. Would you stand for a second so we can honor you this Veterans Day weekend? (laughs) Well, thank you so much for uh, your service to our country. This Veterans Day, we are reminded that the uh, liberties that that we value, the liberties that we are able to prize as a people uh, were paid for with a price. And that price wasn't just people uh, who were willing to put a uniform on, but people who were willing to uh, put their lives on the line to protect our freedom. So we are grateful for your service and for the service of other servicemen and women. So we want to say thank you this Veterans Day. Weekend. I also want to make sure that you are aware of uh, Point Man, which is a group that meets here on Monday nights during support groups. And, and Point Man is a ministry that's designed whether you have been out of the service for decades or you are just now re entering civilian life. This is a place that you can go and they can help you maybe navigate uh, your next steps as you walk through this. Uh, they also have opportunities to connect uh, with veterans' families as well. So if you want more information about that, you can find that by going to cccgo.com forward slash support. But today we just want to say thank you for your service. Now, today we are uh, continuing our series, walking through the Sermon on the Mount. This is week 10 and we are now entering into the final chapter of the sermon. The sermon's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And right now we're taking the first six verses in chapter 7. And these verses are some of the most well-known and even well-loved passages or one of the most well-loved passages in scripture, even by those who don't necessarily like the Bible. Now, at the same time, this is also a passage that I think is often misunderstood as Jesus offers this teaching. So what we're going to do as we walk through this passage today is we're going to take a minute to think about how our culture thinks about what Jesus is talking about. How maybe even some of us think about it. And then we're going to look at what Jesus says, what he means and what it means for us today and why it's good news for us as we seek to walk in this way that Jesus has laid before us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. We're going to read verses one through six, where Jesus says this. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brothers eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, huh, uh, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? (laughs) You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, if you're anything like me, you may have been reading that or hearing that, and maybe been nodding your head through the first five verses. And then we got to the pigs, the dogs, and the pearls, and you got a little thrown off. If that's you, I want to ask you to join me in taking verse six, and we're going to set that aside for now. We are going to come back there, but don't let that distract you as we walk through these first five verses that may be a little more straightforward. See, this passage is written and it's one where we may think that that first verse, those first couple verses are so straightforward that there's no reason for us to even press in or or look any closer at what Jesus is saying. I mean, those first nine verses are well known and well loved. It seems like a pretty absolute straightforward idea. Do not judge or you too will be judged. If we could all just follow that uh, teaching right there, our world would be a much better place. I mean, we come right now and we're in this place in our world where this is a cultural mantra of sort. It's kind of like a motto that that our world lives by a foundational belief in our culture is that everyone has the right to hold their own beliefs, their own positions. And well, if you disagree with them, if you are one who calls that bad or, or wrong, you are at best intolerant and at worst a bigot. Not only that, but if you are a Christian and do that, then you violate Jesus' most basic command. Do not judge or you too will be judged. It's so prevalent in our culture that that my favorite poet, Tupac Shakur, even says, only God can judge me, right? It's this idea that, that we have our own rights to hold our own position, own belief, and no one else can say anything about it. Yeah, at the same time, if someone else judges my beliefs, then I can quickly judge and condemn them for judging me. It's kind of a weird cycle that we find ourselves in. You see what I'm saying? It's a passage that, that we can easily just kind of move on and maybe not think deeply about what Jesus was actually saying. So what we want to do today is take time to look at what Jesus actually says. We don't want to skip over his words. We want to read them in context to make sure we understand what it is that Jesus is saying. First, I think we can understand what Jesus is saying when he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. We can understand that a little more fully just by looking at verse 2. Verse 2 says this. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In the original language in the Greek, this is made up of two sections. The first one, Jesus uses the word for judgment, the word crema, three consecutive times in three different forms. So he uses the same root word. If we were to literally translate it, it might say something like this, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. So he's talking about a certain type of judgment, okay? Okay. Not judgment on a whole, but a type of judgment. The same way you judge others, you will be judged. That's seen again in the second half when Jesus uses the word for measure three consecutive times to say what would literally be something like. With the measure you measure, you will be measured. (laughs) So I think if we look at this second verse, we can see that Jesus is talking about a certain type of judgment or type of measurement. And it's helpful the way it's translated for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's talking about a type of judgment. Not only that, but we can look at the larger context where Jesus is talking here to understand that that we couldn't really make much sense of many passages in the rest of the New Testament if this was just a blanket statement against any type of judgment. Not only could we not make sense of many passages later in the New Testament, but we couldn't make sense of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount if that's what Jesus meant. I mean, all we have to do is jump down there to that puzzling verse there in verse six, when Jesus tells us that we need to be able to distinguish or judge between these pigs and these dogs and what it is that we are giving to them. Again, we'll visit that later on, but there we see a need to pass some sort of judgment to decipher how to live in that way. Or jump down to verses 15 and 16 when Jesus is talking about true and false teachers. And he says that we need to be able to judge between the true and false teachers. So clearly there's a type of judgment that that we have to have in order to live wise lives. The fact is we cannot make it through a day without making some sort of judgment. So the question we need to ask is what is it that Jesus is condemning? What is it that is this judging that he is talking about? Well, first, what I want us to do is look at what that judging is not. So let's go ahead and look here. Judging is not negatively assessing someone's position or belief. It's not choosing to say, well, this is not right. I mean, the fact is, is that if there's someone in your life who is maybe completely wrecking their family because of a pattern of sin or behavior in their life, the loving thing to do is to engage them in such a way that they could hear that and say, hey, I've seen this and it's not okay. (laughs) That type of judgment is something we need to be able to do. How we do it, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, matters. So what is this type of judgment though that Jesus is talking about? Well, I think the judgment that Jesus is talking about is the writing somebody off because of assessing their behavior or belief. It's saying, because I've seen this, I know I'm writing you off. There's no more reason for us to even have a conversation. Or the type of judging that I think Jesus is talking about is that dismissing and condemning of a person because of the disagreement maybe that you have there. Because you recognize that there's something wrong. Or maybe we could see it's the dehumanizing of others, making them less human because of what you have judged or assessed in their life. Or I think we could understand it as putting yourself in the place of God. This is the type of judgment that Jesus is condemning in this passage. It's whenever you put yourself in the position of the one who has the final word to declare over this person because of what you have seen or observed. So in light of this, in light of what we've seen so far, I think we can best understand what Jesus is saying there in verse one, the way that that Jonathan Pennington, a guy that's kind of helped guide us through some of this thinking throughout the sermon, he, he translates verse one, I think it's helpful as saying, do not judge unfairly, lest you be judged in the same way. The type of judgment Jesus condemns is that writing off or dehumanizing or the deifying of yourself, the putting yourself in God's position. That is what Jesus is condemning. It's when we move from perceiving the way things are to declaring the way things will be for someone. It's whenever we move from just assessing the way things are to writing people off because of the mistakes that they have made. Jesus says, be careful because that is the same measure, the type, same type of judgment that will be used for you if that's the way that you are going to approach others. Now, as Jesus continues in this passage, he uses an image to talk a little bit about what he's talking about. And it's a pretty well-known image. It talks about the, the sawdust and the plank. So let's go ahead and read back through that in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, where Jesus says this. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, huh, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This picture here is one from first century ophthalmology where Jesus is saying, hey, you need to be aware of what's going on with yourself before you pass judgment on someone else. He kind of uses some humor there with that picture of the two by four in your eye whenever someone else just has a little speck in their eye and how that kind of works out there. Whenever we look at this picture, though, I think that there's an image in the Old Testament, a story that is helpful in understanding what Jesus is talking about. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, where we meet King David. You see, King David has sent his army off to war. Instead of going to the war with his army like he would usually do or like armies often would, he decided to stay at home. While he was at home, he saw a woman. And even though he was already married and likely had a large harem, he saw this woman and decided that he must have her. So he had her brought to him and and he had sex with her and everything. And she ended up getting pregnant. Now, in the midst of this story, we see that David responds by uh, doing something with her husband, okay? So he takes her husband, who was one of David's mighty men. Okay. This woman's husband was one of the men who fought to protect David while David was on the run from Saul. And yet, whenever this happens, David takes this man and he has him put onto the front lines, has everyone else, with, everyone else withdraw so that this man would be killed. And at this point, David moves from just being an adulterer to being an adulterer and a murderer. So what happens next? Well, God sends a prophet, a man named Nathan, and Nathan comes to David. Nathan tells David a little story. Instead of just pointing out his sin right away, he tells him a story about this situation that's happening. He says, hey, there was this rich farmer who had many flocks. His, his flocks were huge, but he saw one lamb from his poor neighbor. It was the only lamb his neighbor had. And he chose to take that lamb away from of this poor farmer. So this rich farmer had done this. Well, whenever David heard this, he became indignant. He became furious instantly. And apparently, completely unaware of any irony happening in the situation, what David does is he says, Well, where is this rich farmer? This rich farmer must be dealt with. This type of behavior is not okay in my kingdom. And Nathan looks at King David and he says, You are that man. You are that man do you not realize what you did with Bathsheba with this woman you are that rich farmer who took from this poor farmer now the thing I want us to see here as we think about this is that the judgment that David passed was a good and right judgment right It was the good and right thing for the king to become upset that a rich farmer had stolen a poor farmer's sheep. That was a good and right thing to do. That's the type of law and justice we want to see in our world, right? The issue wasn't with the judgment. It was with the fact that David was completely blind to the sin in his own heart, in his own life. The problem wasn't with what he had assessed before him. The problem was the kind of thing that he did whenever he was blind to his own sin. And this is the type of judgment that Jesus is talking about in this passage. So as I've thought about this judgment that Jesus is talking about, and as I've thought about maybe how to process through this I've had a couple of questions that have come to my mind this week some of which are questions that I've been asking myself for a while one of which is kind of a new question and the first question is one that I've been asking for the last couple of years that I still can't figure out but it's why is it that my sin looks so much worse on them you guys ever realize that <laughs> some, my sin looks so much worse on other people I see someone else who's struggling with the exact same sin struggle maybe that I have, but whenever I see it exhibited in their life, I am completely appalled. But then whenever it's in my own life, I'm like, oh, no. I mean, if you knew what was going on in my life, you would understand. It's it's excusable for me, but on you, no way. So I think that's a question maybe we can ask ourselves as we think about what it looks like to respond to Jesus's message. Why is it that my sin, the sin struggles I have, looks so much worse on them? A second question was a newer question for me. It's why is it that it's it's so much easier to talk about their sin than it is to talk about my sin? You guys ever noticed that before? You see sin in someone else's life and it's real easy to start cutting it up about that. It's real easy to start talking about the sin that's happening in someone else's life. But then someone comes up to you, they're like, hey, how's it going? You know, what's God been teaching? You're like, ah, no, I'm good. Nothing to see here, right? Nothing at all going on here for you to know about. But did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear about what's going on in their life, the choices that they made? That is incredibly terrible, but me, I'm good. Now, I think I bring this up because we live in a church culture, for some reason, Christian culture, and just broader Christian culture around the United States, where we seem to relish in those we disagree with falling. Whenever we see other Christians fall that we have disagreements with, we begin to say, ah, see, I always knew there was something wrong there. Isn't this so wonderful? Finally, it's been exposed. That thing I've been talking about forever. See, it's true. It's real easy to talk about their sin. See, I think whenever we see other people fall, rather than it being something where we're quick to talk about it, it should probably be something that begins to um, cause us to grieve. It should be something where we become aware of the fact that we're not that far away from there. We are fragile people. And if it were not for the grace of Jesus and for the work of the Spirit in sanctifying us, we wouldn't be much farther away than they are. Why is it so much easier to talk about their sin than it is to talk about my sin? The third question that I try to ask myself pretty consistently is when is the last time I slowed down long enough to actually look at what was happening in my own heart? Do I have a rhythm in my life where I can slow down long enough to look at what's going on in my own heart? Because what I found is that we often run at such a pace that we can still observe the sin in other people's lives because you can still see that when you're in motion, but we never stop long enough to look at the sin in our own heart. So when is the last time I slowed down long enough to look at what was happening in my life? These three questions have been probing questions. And as I've thought about them, I've also thought about some common ways where I think that what Jesus is talking about often appears in our lives. Now, the first way that I think that what Jesus is talking about is often exhibited in our lives is through gossip. Gossip. Gossip is something that has become just a culturally acceptable sin, but it's a way that I think this type of judgment that Jesus is condemning is often seen. You see, when you judge others, you are concerned with writing them off. You're concerned with feeling superior to them. The reality is, is you're not concerned about the evil in them. You're not concerned about the sin in them. You're not concerned about the wrong. You're not concerned about helping them. You're only concerned with feeling superior to them. I mean, think about it. What else could be your motivation for talking about a brother or sister in their sin struggle? What is your motivation to talk about that? Is it to actually take care and bring about healing where sin is present? Or is it just to feel superior to them? I think if we were honest, we would see that oftentimes, whether it's something we're aware of or not, it's an inner desire to feel better. And when we gossip, it shows that we're not really interested in truth. We're just interested in feeling better than that other person. As we think about this, I think we need to recognize that truth and love cannot be separated in the Christian faith. We can't walk around and take truth and yield it as a sword to tear other people down. Rather, we must couple it with love so that that truth can actually be received. As I thought about this this week, I had my mom's words from growing up just imprinted in my brain and it came up again. You see, I've always had a big mouth. Believe it or not, it's gotten better since I've gotten older, but I used to have a really big mouth growing up and my mom would just say, Andrew, Ephesians 4, 29. And I would have to say, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. There, mom, are you happy But that verse there is one that's really important. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. So whenever you're talking to or about someone else, I think a question we need to ask ourselves is, is my desire to build them up or to tear them down? Is my desire to build them up or to build myself up as superior to them? Because if it's the latter, well, we're just falling into what Jesus is warning us against in this passage. You know, we are often quick to come up with excuses for why we act or do what we do, why we say what we do. But Jesus says some words in Luke chapter six, when he offers this same teaching, he goes on to say something that Matthew doesn't record. But here is what he says to a group in Luke chapter six, verse 45. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what do your words reveal about what's in your heart? What do your words to or about another person reveal about what is going on in your own heart? You see, but I think that this problem of gossip is also spurred on by another problem in our culture that has to do with our pace. And it's this, I think oftentimes not only is gossip evidence of this problem, but there's also a lack of self-awareness. And this reveals to us the problem that Jesus is talking about. You see, we often run at such a pace, once again, that we don't stop long enough to look into our own hearts. And whenever we don't stop long enough to look into our own hearts, it's easy for us just to focus on what people around us are doing wrong. It's easy for us to point out the sin of other people all the while not doing anything about what's going on in our own hearts. And while we're running at such a pace, the thing that I've found is that we also don't take time to empathize with other people to think about why they might possibly be doing the thing that they're doing. Rather, we just associate the worst possible motives upon them and we move on with our life because they are terrible people and they are interrupting our day, right? All the while, we're not aware of what's happening in our own hearts. But I think there are some solutions to what is talked about in this passage, I think Jesus offers us a way to maybe curb and live differently than the rest of the world or the rest of our culture. And the first thing that I think we can do to maybe curb this pattern of gossip and a lack of self-awareness is this, slow down. I think if we become a people who would actually carve out time and make time in our life to slow down and be quiet before God, we would see that he actually has something to say to us about where our own hearts are. This is why we often talk to our students over here about the first 15, about blocking out 15 minutes each day to have that time before the Lord. And I think that's something that we can all learn from. So right now, my challenge to each and every person in this room is to take at least three days this week and block out a 15 minute block where you are gonna be quiet before God and you're gonna say, God, search my heart and reveal to me what it looks like or any sin in my life that maybe I'm not aware of. Search my heart and reveal the things in my heart that don't line up with your design for my life. Now, if you're gonna do this, it may mean that you have to give up 15 minutes of sleep and get up 15 minutes earlier. It may mean that you need to give up 15 minutes of your lunch break. It may mean that you need to, on your way home from work, pull off into a parking lot for 15 minutes just to be quiet with the Lord, but go ahead and let whoever's waiting for you at home know, hey, I'm doing this. But whatever it takes, make those 15 minutes happen. Make those 15 minutes happen where you can sit before God and say, God, What's going on in my own heart? I want you to reveal whatever it is that's going on that doesn't line up with your design. There's a story in Luke chapter 18 about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee and tax collector both go to the temple and the Pharisee stands up and he prays. He says, Lord, I thank you that I am not like one of these worthless sinners or even like this tax collector over here. See, I fast two times a week and I give a tithe. Thank you so much for how wonderful I am could be the summation of his prayer. Meanwhile, this tax collector is off to the side and he's praying. And the only words we see that he said is Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. So what if we took 15 minutes a couple of times this week and if you can build it in every day, do it. And maybe you start that time by saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner. Reveal those areas where I am falling short. Reveal those areas where my life does not align with your design. The second thing that I think we can do to maybe take steps towards Jesus's design for our lives is to actually deal with your sin. Whenever Jesus reveals something, or whenever you're praying and you have something brought to light, don't just say, oh, isn't that nice? Let's move on with life, but actually make a plan to deal with that sin. Find someone else who would be willing to maybe read scripture or read a devotion with you and then hold one another accountable, text one another to say, hey, what did you read? What's God teaching you? Hey, what are you doing with this? Find someone else who will walk with you on this journey, but find a way to deal with sin. Ask God for the strength to overcome this sin. Confess to God, say, God, right now, I want, and then fill in the blank. I want money. I want fulfillment in my family. I want sexual fulfillment. I want whatever this is more than I want you, but I'm not okay with that. Would you help me to overpower this sin, to overcome this sin through your power in me? Church, a plank in our eye is a serious problem and we can't just deal, or fail to deal with sin and then be surprised when we find ourselves blind to the sin in our life one day. We've got to deal with it. A third thing that I think we can do to take steps towards this is to get connected with a community. Again, this can be just one other person who you give permission to speak into your life where you ask them, hey, would you ask me a couple of questions each week? Like, hey, how are you honoring God with your eyes, with what you're looking at? How are you honoring God with your finances? How are you honoring God with your time? But give them permission to speak into your life and then actually be honest with them. Or maybe it's getting connected with a broader small group. That would be incredible. Or just grabbing a couple of people who will hold you accountable week in and week out. Right now, with where my wife and I are in with our life and stuff, we are not able really to be in a small group together. Okay, And before you stone me and say, what kind of pastor are you? Let me explain what we do in place of that. You see, each week I meet with a group of guys on Tuesday mornings um, at six o'clock because that's a time that works for us. So that's my way of getting connected with a community to hold me accountable, to help me keep seeking the things of God and not allow anything to get root without me having to lie to someone else that I've told can speak into my life, right? I have a group and then she meets with a group of a couple of ladies, my point right there is for a long time, my wife and I were like, "Ah, oh, it stinks that our schedules don't like we can't figure out a small group that'll work for us. This is awful. And we lived in that place for a little while. And what I want to tell you is don't live there. Find something to work and make it work. Maybe there's a co-worker that is also a believer and you can say, hey, can we meet 15 minutes before our shift starts? Or, hey, can we meet for lunch today and actually have a time of that blocked out where we are gonna hold one another accountable. Find a way to get connected with community and do it. Now, I think the fourth thing that we can do is to choose to speak truth and love together. Those two things cannot be separated in the Christian life. We can't just yield truth as a sword. And to maybe illustrate this a little bit, I'm going to read verse six again, this verse about the the pigs and the dogs. Here's what Jesus says there. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this is a challenging passage here, but I think it's important for us to look at how Jesus uses this image in this specific passage. Right here, he shows a picture of there being some sort of relationship. These pigs and dogs are in your care. But what you choose to do is you choose to throw something, a great treasure to them. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, if you have a great treasure and you give it to someone who can't digest it, watch out, you might just become lunch because you are at least edible. It doesn't matter how valuable the pearl is. It's not what the pig needs at that time. So don't be surprised if they trample it. They can't digest what you're giving them. I think in the same way, we can think about our relationships with others. If you have a great piece of truth, but you deliver it in such a way that they can't digest it, that they can't receive it, don't be surprised if they attack you. If you give uh, someone a pearl when what is needed is a corn husk, don't be surprised when they attack. The loving thing to do is to give what is needed, in this case, food, in the way it is needed, in this case, at least edible. Now, if you can't get beyond that picture of the pig and the dogs, think about a toddler. If my screaming two and a half year old is hungry and I choose, oh, I'm gonna take the ring off my finger or the ring off my wife's finger, I'm gonna give that to him to eat. What he's going to do is he's either going to eat that, swallow it, then we're going to the ER and going to have an ER bill, or he's going to chuck it across the room and then hit me, at least my son, maybe your kids don't do that, but that's what my son does, okay? And he's going to keep throwing a fit. Why? Because I didn't give him what he needed. I may have given him something that was very valuable, but it wasn't in a way that he could use it. It wasn't what he needed at that time. In the same way, if we have truth, we need to couple that with love so we can deliver it to people in such a way that they can digest it, in such a way that they can actually receive it. Giving someone the right thing in the wrong way is not the right thing to do. But in order for us to be able to actually stand in what Jesus says here today, it means we also have to step into the truth of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. See, first and foremost, it means that we need to be honest with ourselves about who we are apart from Jesus. See, the Bible tells us that apart from the work of Jesus, each and every one of us is a sinner without any hope. And I think the first thing that we need to do if we're going to step into what Jesus calls us to is to recognize that and accept that truth. Because whenever we recognize and we accept that truth, whenever we recognize that we are sinners that are hopeless apart from the work of Jesus, then whenever someone comes to you and offers a harsh criticism, you know what you can probably actually say? If only you knew. If only you knew how far Jesus has brought me, where I was beforehand, if only you knew the battles I'm still fighting inside, then you would know that that is true and more. (laughs) And whenever we're honest about that fact with ourselves, we don't have to respond in anger when someone offers criticism and we can respond with grace to other people, but we can't stop there we also have to accept what's true because of what Jesus has done. See, we also have to receive the fact that because of what Jesus has done, God, who has the right to cast us off, who has the right to judge us in such a way as to say, get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. Instead, if we have received Jesus, he chooses to say instead, you are my beloved child. And you see, whenever we rest in those two truths, We can respond differently to criticism from other people and we can respond graciously whenever we see struggles in other people's lives because we recognize were it not for the grace of God, we would be there too. It changes the way we interact with others. Now, as we wrap up service today, we're going to wrap things up a little bit different than normal. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you two to three minutes to sit and be quiet. And there are going to be three questions that come up on the screen. What I want you to do in these next two to three minutes is be quiet before the Lord and actually walk through these questions. If you have a pen and piece of paper, you can write out your answers. If you have your phone, you can write those out on your phone as reminders for later, or you can just mentally walk through these questions for yourself and be honest before God today about these questions. After we read through these questions, I'll come up and wrap things up. But first, I'm going to pray before we give you this time. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your love and your grace. I thank you so much for the good news that we were helpless sinners apart from you. But because of what you've done, we can be called your children. And God, that gives us permission to be gracious to those around us. God, do not be people who think we have to have the final word on someone else for what their future holds. God, right now, I pray that you will speak to each and every person in this room. God, I pray that you will give us ears to hear from you, that you will allow us to rest in you as you speak to us and be willing to actually respond. Give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.